Hello, my name's John Campion and I'm the West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner and welcome to my latest podcast. Uh, I'm joined today uh, by two colleagues and I'll, I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, Rosie, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello, I'm Rosie. I'm the National Programme Lead for DRIVE. Um, DRIVE is a partnership formed of respect, safe lives and social finance. Excellent, and uh, also joined by Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm the service manager for the DRIVE programme in Worcestershire. Uh, this is delivered by Cranston, which are a national charity that empowers people to live healthy, safe and happy lives uh, through numerous different services. Excellent. A very warm welcome to you to you both. Um, as Commissioner, I'm absolutely committed to tackling the issues causing harm in our communities, not only dealing with it once it's happened, but also changing that behaviour that makes it happen uh, in the first place. And that's why today, really excited uh, to be talking to you both. And uh, it's probably best to kick off with, with you, Rosie, just talking, uh, maybe really good to hear about what the DRIVE project is. Been around for a few years now. What those drivers were for, about how it came about in the first place. Yeah, so uh, DRIVE's a project that works with high-harm, high-risk and serial perpetrators of domestic abuse to prevent their abusive behaviour and protect victims. So we work directly with perpetrators to challenge and change their behaviour. And alongside that, we work with partner agencies like the police and children's social care to disrupt abuse. Um, all the while, while advocating nationally for looking in terms of changes to national systems so that perpetrators posing all levels of risk can no longer get away with abusive behaviour and we can, and they have the ability to access the help they need to stop. Um, I think in order to better understand why we created DRIVE in the first place, though, we need to go back a little bit. So um, we looked at, we looked nationally when we were setting up DRIVE in terms of what the picture for DA looked like and a recent survey showed us that one in three crimes of violence were domestic abuse um, related and more than two women a week were killed by a current or former partner in England and Wales. Um, we also know that one in four perpetrators are repeat offenders and some have as many as six victims, but fewer than 1% of perpetrators received any specialist form of intervention uh, to try and prevent that abusive behaviour in the future. Uh, we also asked victims uh, what they wanted, and 80% of those we asked told us they would have liked their partner or ex-partner to have had the opportunity to go on a programme, but only 2.5% of those we asked partners actually had had that opportunity. Um, so as you mentioned in the question, John, we've been around for a while now, um, and DRIVE was developed in 2015 by the DRIVE Partnership, who I mentioned in my introduction um, and the partnership identified that there was a serious gap in the system nationally and so came together to look at and form a shared ambition to change the way that statutory and voluntary sector to respond to high-harm, high-risk perpetrators of domestic abuse. So the partnership's expertise in domestic abuse, perpetrator interventions and research-led approaches to solving social problems resulted in the creation of DRIVE um, and each partner organisation continues to bring expertise in developing a sustainable and scalable model nationally. Um, so, drive in one sentence, 
drive works to end domestic abuse and protect victims by disrupting, challenging and changing the behaviour of high harm, high risk and serial perpetrators. Because the, for me, uh, as commissioner in 2016 when I got elected, um, obviously uh, lots of work engaging with victims group and um, I, I was very clear, clear, clear to uh, commit early on I would spend more money on, uh, on ensuring that we had got um, the right services to support uh, those victims. But I was also quite starkly uh, surprised by the um, the lack of support out there about changing behaviour, that offending, um, you know, uh, changing uh, how we understand that uh, offending behaviour and doing something uh, about it. Um, do you think it's the right way to describe it as quite immature before, you know, before this work got going? It was a, it was a, a real gap I... in society's offer. Yeah, I mean, Respect has been operating for 20 years now, looking at um, kind of best... Um, kind of best practice in terms of perpetrator work but we I think as a sector have often shied away from it and we're now starting to see that sea change nationally in terms of people recognizing that all of you know we all have the same aim and that's to end domestic abuse but we're never going to be able to do that if we don't actually tackle the core issue and that's those causing the abusive behavior um, so we've really started to see that change in the last few years, which has enabled kind of the development and the delivery of drive. But I, I never want us to think of drive in a silo. So um, drive is working specifically with one cohort, which is that high harm, high risk serial cohort. Um, but what we need to see nationally is a whole approach to um, a whole approach covering everybody from kind of education and early intervention all the way through to the cohort that drives working with. Because that's an interesting bit for me, and I absolutely support the the, the high harm uh, focus. Yeah. But, but I, my hope, my 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 wish is that in the longer term, it just becomes part of what we do. It's not a it's not a project or a something that has to be campaigned for all the time. It is just part of the offer. You know, of course, we support those that, that are victims and survivors, but of course, we also target those causing the behaviour, low and and high. Lisa, it's probably quite a good time to uh, to perhaps understand how. Um, perpetrators are referred to drive how do they um, uh, get into uh, the program and get access to the service and and what kind of things can uh, can they expect once they uh, once they uh, get referred uh, sort of bringing the journey to life a bit for um, what somebody entering the service might might expect to receive okay no problem well um, the high harm cases of domestic abuse are identified to us by the police um, and if somebody meets the criteria, then their behaviour will be discussed at the local perpetrator panel, uh, which is something that we set up when we first started the drive pilot in Worcestershire. Um, it's a multi-agency meeting where agencies, including police, children's social care, women's aid, substance misuse and adult safeguarding, and also probation attend. Um, we gather and share information um, between one another and identify any risks. And then we'll discuss methods to disrupt the domestic abuse offending uh, in order to prevent it from happening, as well as to reduce any potential risks to victims and children. And also, of course, the person referred. Um, the highest harm cases discussed at that meeting um, who would benefit from the behaviour change will then be selected to go on to the drive cohort. Um, in terms of what, what they can expect when they're referred, um, 
the client will be allocated a case manager. Um, that case manager will gather as much information about the person referred and uh, formulate a, a contact strategy. Um, the aim of that is to safely introduce the service to that person. Um, we would only contact them if we deem that it's safe to do so and doesn't increase any risk to anybody else. Um, so the ways that we introduce the service might be via a letter, advising them that the police have given us their details um, following an incident, or if they're already working with another service that we've identified during the perpetrator panel meeting, um, then we'll contact that worker within the agency and discuss drive with them and get them to speak to their client about it. And if it's something that they feel that they could, they would benefit from, um, then we'll get the case manager to make contact with them. Um, and a joint appointment generally gets made with the other service so that they've got a professional that they've already got a working relationship with present at that meeting. Um, and then in terms of the actual journey, once we've, we've got the introductions over, um, each journey will be very different. Um, so, for example, if the service has been introduced by another professional or the client's responded to the letter, then we'll meet with them, introduce ourselves, discuss things like consent and confidentiality. Um, we'd also give them an, overwork, an overview of the work that we could do with them. Um, at any future meetings, we would then work with them to complete an assessment to identify and understand their individual needs and tailor the response to them. Um, the work includes going through certain exercises to get to know the client initially, uh, which might include work on morals and values, um, family timelines, so that we can really get an idea of, um, of who they are. And once we've got to know the client, um, then we'll do some work that's kind of bespoke to them. So it might be that we complete some work with them on denial or jealousy or the impact of domestic abuse on children. Um, we can work with the clients for up to 12 months from the point of referral. Um, and we wouldn't expect any of the journeys to be smooth sailing um, as we're dealing with people. And often things will happen that might mean that we need to go over different areas of work again and really challenge the behaviour and the actions of the client. Um, the case managers are trained and skilled in working well with individuals. And that includes challenging them appropriately about what's happened recently or in their past and identify ways of changing their responses in the future. Um, the case managers are there to support and to develop, to help them to develop safe and happy relationships now and in the future. Um, we'll offer different perspectives to situations and different ways of dealing with scenarios and encourage the client to reflect upon those. Um, obviously, it's not all about the behaviour change. We get some cases where the client won't be ready to complete any of this type of work when they're initially referred to us. Um, they may have complex needs such as mental health or substance misuse and these matters potentially need addressing alongside any therapeutic work. Um, in cases like these, the case manager will act in more of a support capacity to the client. Um, so as an example, if the client's got no home and is sofa surfing, um, it would be important to assist them with housing and then to give them the space to address their behaviour um, because if they've got a major, major need and their basic needs aren't met, um, we'd be better to focus on that initially. And then 
there's some cases where it's not safe to make an approach to the client at all. Um, these cases uh, are what we call disrupt, and they'll involve the case manager completing intense case management and further liaison with partner agencies to have a real focus on disrupting their behaviour instead. Um, this might need to lead to a safe time to introduce the service, or it may not. Um, examples of this could be that we identify that the perpetrator's got a new partner um, and because of concerns about their past behaviour, we ensure that the new partner is able to access a player's law disclosure um, and that's where they'll be offered the opportunity to know about any relevant past behaviour of the perpetrator to enable them to make an informed decision about any potential risks of continuing in that relationship. Um, and regardless, really, of which direction the case progresses in, the case manager will record actions and contacts um, on our case management system. They'll continually be assessing risk throughout and any needs. Um, if any safeguarding concerns are raised, then the relevant information will be shared with the necessary agency in order to manage any risks effectively. And their key role really is to effectively manage risk, as I've just said, um, and to reduce domestic abuse offending, which includes supporting behaviour change. It sounds, Lisa, a, a very bespoke to the individual. It's not so; it doesn't feel like a one-size-fits-all. Um, the understanding, the stage, the needs of the um, of the individual uh, on, on all the sides of, of the issue, and, and responding to, to them. Do you think do you think that's fair to say? And do you think that's why this program is seen as maybe um, you know a, such a significant step in this area of, of our society? Absolutely, I think so. Um, you know, no person's the same. Everybody's needs are different. Um, like the example I said about the, you know, somebody potentially sofa surfing, they're going to need a lot more support work initially than somebody who's um, got a home, all their needs are met. You know, they can, they can really start to address their behaviour potentially at first call. So I think it's really, really good that it isn't a one-size-fits-all programme and that we can kind of offer different things. And I know everybody's different and we're all humans and, and, and react in different ways. Is there, um, are there some, are there some common reactions to the, to the program? You know, is it, you know, the, the light bulb moment and all those kind of things, are there, you know, is there um, a theme around how uh, individuals respond to this type of engagement? I'd say a lot of the time when we make initial contact, there's, sometimes a reluctance, um, probably more, more so than not. Um, but the case managers will speak to the client. You know, as I said, they're all very skilled in, in having relationships with people. Um, and then they'll explain the benefits and the fact that they're there to support them and to check, help them change their behaviour. Um, so I think it's just down to, obviously, having that really good working relationship with the case manager. It, um, it, it's a fascinating uh, program, and uh, having visited and seen uh, some of uh, some of it my, myself, um, uh, Rosie. Um, obviously, we we all live in a world where um, things cost money, and uh, there are priorities around uh, funding, etc. Um, and uh, th there is always a sense around uh, measuring the the impact of, of work, and and I, I don't fit into the category of where we have to measure everything to the nth degree. But I'd be interested if you would just bring to life. Uh, what you see as the uh, as the as the, as the success rate of, of the project, you know, the granularity, if there is some around some of the data, maybe, but also um, why it is such a useful um, program, and indeed why it makes that difference. Yeah. 
So um, the University of Bristol actually did a three-year evaluation on our initial pilot um, based on the analysis of over 500 cases. Um, and some of the things that they told us from that is that they saw uh, um, that we continue to see in the sites now. So since the initial pilot, we've continued to roll sites out, including the site in West Mercia. Um, and we continue to see this, this pattern in terms of, of reductions of abuse from those that are going through the DRIVE program. So um, as an example, from the University of Bristol evaluation, we found that physical abuse reduced by 82% uh, for DRIVE cases, sexual abuse reduced by 88%, harassment and stalking behaviours reduced by 75%, and jealous and controlling behaviours reduced by 73%. Um, and most importantly, because the whole reason that we do this work is in order to keep victims and children safer um, and that they are at the centre of everything that we do, um, the research found that we know traditional approaches to domestic abuse work. So we know, for example, a victim having a support worker will really help in terms of keeping them safe. But when you add that additional layer of drive on top, we saw that um, victims that were whose whose partners were also receiving a drive intervention were three times less likely to be experiencing physical abuse at the end of the intervention than those receiving just a traditional approach. Um, and infants were also reporting that there was an eighty-two percent reduction in risk to victims on the drive cohort. Um, and we, we also saw through police data um, that there was, you know, that was also mirrored. So police data showed us when we looked at um, offending behaviour of the drive cohort compared to a control group that um, we looked at data six months before, during and after the intervention and found that those that had been on drive, their DA offending reduced by 30%. Um, in the six months following the intervention, whereas the control group who hadn't had the intervention, there was no change at all. So I think, you know, these are all indicators for us that DRIVE does work and to keep victims and children safer. And we continue to learn. So we continue, as I said, to map our, you know, our outcomes now against the university's findings to make sure that it's still working um, but we've now worked with almost 2,000 service users. Um, so the cohort we have to look at in terms of what we've learned is now much bigger. And it continues to teach us and we continue to develop uh, the model and the approach that we use and improve it. Because that's, a, that's a, a key bit I've learned from my involvement through this is in terms of the continuous development it isn't just a case of well that's the product and job done it, it feels yeah. very much about responding um you've touched a yeah. little you've touched a little bit around um around the benefit and i know drive is one of those agencies calling for um, a national perpetrator strategy um to bring yeah. this um subject to, to the more the national focus it, it it's in my local plans it's uh, uh, if i'm re-elected it will be in my next police and crime plan etc but you're part of the group getting trying to get it onto the national um uh, agenda um, I'm interested as to the uh, the difference that that would make, um, and indeed, um, what kind of things would you like to see uh, in a national strategy? 
Yeah, so you're right, John. Um, you joined us in signing along with over 70 other organisations in January this year, the call to action that we put together. Um, and in that call to action, we asked for five key things from government. So firstly, we want to see a criminal justice system and other public and voluntary sector services that are trained and are able to work effectively together to hold perpetrators to account. Um, second, we want to ha see proven interventions. So like I was talking about earlier, we, we want to drive interventions, but we also want other proven best practice interventions across other levels of harm to be available everywhere. Um, and education to prevent and raise awareness of abusive behaviours, again, to be available everywhere. Um, third, we want re regulation of these interventions to ensure that all of them are high quality and safe and that ongoing research happens like we do to make sure that it continues to develop and learn. Um, four, we want proper investment. So a perpetrator strategy requires funding to do it well. Um, and ultimately, we know it will save money in areas like policing, justice and health. Um, but it, it needs to be a pot of money by itself. It can't, it can't be a pot of money that takes away from anybody else. Um, and then finally, leadership. There needs to be leadership to make it happen. So we were very happy for the announcement of the DA commissioner post and that now Nicole Jacobs is in that role um, and is working with us to see, you know, there needs to be an overall kind of... Um, leadership and making sure that the response to perpetrators nationally is happening. Um, and if it's implemented and resourced effectively, it could have a massive impact on the way we address domestic abuse nationally and help to prevent future victims from having to go through abusive relationships, which is ultimately what we all want. And that for me is a, you know, a key uh, a key part is I do think everybody that is what people want here in West Mercia the biggest cause of harm is in a domestic setting um, uh, after the yeah. roads um, it's the domestic is the uh, domestic setting yeah. homicide is the biggest killer um, I, I want to make sure um, that the national support um, is there to those um, efforts because it will be a priority for me locally but uh, I, I agree with you the the national focus can assist in the multi-agency approach in, um, in in tackling it because um, we are seeing some, some cycles not being broken and and I want to see some of these cycles of harm um, to be to be broken because I think uh, having done lots of uh, victim and survivor uh, engagement uh, over the years um, uh, the stories are harrowing and are horrific and uh, with the right intervention, I truly believe that we can break some of those some of those cycles. Yeah. Um, Lisa and Rosie, I, I want to thank you both for joining us today and uh, the work that you do in this area and the leadership that, that you give. I'm proud to be a, uh, a drive supporter as commissioner here uh, in West Mercia um, and, and your work uh, uh, along with your voluntary partners is, is awe-inspiring and, and I'm proud to be uh, that partner. Thank you for talking about what you do today and bringing it to life uh, and uh, uh, battling with our technology uh, in, uh, in the COVID world that we live in, doing these things <laughs> remotely has become more normal, but I know it's a battle. So thank you both uh, for doing that today. Thank you. Thank you, John.